Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Um, But for tonight, we're just going to bring a challenge, and tonight is really more of a pastoral challenge. And I realize that we have our children in here on Sunday nights, and so I'll be cognizant of that. We're going to hit on a a heavy subject. I also realize, here's the reality, as parents, we like to think um, that that these things don't really impact our children, but in the society in which we live, uh, younger and younger, things there there are some things they're being exposed to, and an agenda in our culture that's being pushed on them um, that is probably much earlier than most of us would, would like to admit and would hope to be true. But I will, I do understand I have my own elementary age children in here, and I'll, I'll be cognizant of that. Uh, but tonight is, it's, it's more of a pastoral challenge as it relates to sin in our lives. And I'm going to address tonight what has probably derailed and destroyed more Christian families, more marriages, more teenagers, more pastors, more churches divided and caused damage to more churches than any other single sin. And, and the principles of this will also apply to some other sins that we struggle with at times in our lives. The, the main thought for this message came at Ironwood Christian Camp. I was sitting after a, a late night, probably 11 o'clock at night, after an evening service of our team camp. And uh, my wife, we, we go up every year with the teenagers, and I usually spend the morning studying. I work from about 8 to 1 in the conference room all by myself. It's where I do a lot of planning for our staff training and for our fall season and some of those preaching calendar things that I just talked about. And I do it in the morning, and then we go to lunch, and then I go swimming with the teenagers, the guys. We have the guys' lake time. And then I go to the evening services with our teens. So I'm not usually with them in the morning services, but I'm with them every evening service and go to some of the games and some of the competitions and things. And a friend of mine that my wife has known since she was just a a little girl, uh, Pastor Dean Miller, he's preached here before, he preached our teen camp, and and, uh, uh, Dean Miller is a a pastor in Colorado, uh, not Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, and a wonderful church, and a wonderful pastor, powerful preacher, and he was preaching, he was our main preacher for teen camp there at Ironwood, and and my wife had some Captain Crunch. We always pick up some groceries for the, uh, the house that we stay in at Ironwood. How many Captain Crunch fans out there? Let me just see. All right. One of the best. I would say Captain Crunch, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Those are the two probably top cereals for me. And uh, I'm not sure. What else? What other, what other ones am I missing? Lucky Charms is a big one in our house. What a Cocoa Puffs? Any Cocoa? What do you got, Sandy? Reese's? I don't know. We tell our kids, like, no, you can't eat sweet things for it, and then we give them pancakes. It's just, it's just a cake with syrup poured all over it, right? Or donuts, or Captain Crunch, Reese's. But anyways, I, I digress. We, uh, we had some Captain Crunch, and I invited, we were, I think Dean Miller might have even preached or something, said something in one of his messages about Captain Crunch, and I was like, we have some in our room. You want to come up for a bowl of cereal? And so we're up at 11 o'clock at night in, in our room afterwards. My wife's there, a little kitchen table, a little dining room table, and Dean's there, and we're talking, and we're talking about the message, and we're talking about his church and his family. His daughters were, uh, were one was getting ready to get married, and we're talking about these things. And, and we began to talk about a mutual friend that we knew that had um, had sadly destroyed their lives with some sin they allowed themselves to get involved with, some, some physical sin, immorality, moral failures, and had destroyed their family, had, had really had to step out of their ministry position. And uh, we were talking about that situation, not in glee, not in gossip and heartbreak. And he was very close, and I was asking, do you know how they're doing? And there was a little bit of an update, what's going on there with that family. And he began to tell me a story as we sat there and ate Captain Crunch, and it was sad, sadly at that period of time where we were talking, in the course of a six-week period, there were ten different men that I knew of 
either I was personal friends with or I knew of the ministry that they led. I'm not talking about celebrity pastors. There were others like that. There was a big one at that time in New York out of the big Hillsong Church. And I'm not talking about like I read 10 stories on a, on a, on a blog somewhere. I'm talking about people either I knew or like missionaries that we supported, somebody in their mission board, like a leader of, an, of a Christian organization. Maybe some of, not all of them that I had personally met, but where I either knew them, we had ministry partnership with them, or they had had, um, they, there was some really close common connection, and in the course of six weeks, um, just not too long ago, uh, a little over a year ago, in the course of six weeks, there were ten different people that I had personal, some level of personal contact with, uh, or, or very close contact with other ministries that I, that we, a missionary we support, and a, and a missions board director that found out financial improprieties, or whatever it might have been. And my heart was broken. It seemed like on my social media feed, and, and every day was a new announcement of this, and uh, sadly, this man has had to step down from his church, and sadly, there's this investigation into this, and this report came out that 10 years ago, he didn't do anything wrong personally, but he covered this sin up in his ministry, and they didn't deal with it correctly, and, and this was told to him, and he didn't do anything to protect victims. And, and I, I'm not trying, you don't hear me talk about these things a lot, but these are realities with human nature. And, and, and I've tried in, in my time here and our leadership here to deal with these things very directly and, and to, be, to deal with them very biblically, to approach them to, uh, head on, not to hide anything, not to do anything of that nature. But we were talking about that, and he said, Ryan, he said, there's, uh, Dean's probably, I don't know, probably 10 years older than me is my guess, in his 50s. He said, Ryan, there's a statement that I heard as a teenager. He said, there was a man in, in our church, you know this man, he said, I was, I was very, I, I admired him, I looked up to him, I was very close to this man. He said, and he had an unfortunate situation where he had, he had done some things he shouldn't have done, and it caused great damage to his family and to his marriage and to his life, it cost him his, his business that he had started and all of these things. And he said, I was his employee as a teenager, senior year in high school, I worked for this man. And he said, I got in the truck, and I was, we were, I forget what the business was, but I, I got in the truck, and, and he wasn't in the truck, he had to get out from it, and he came back in, and I looked over at him, he said, I'll never forget it, as a 16, 17-year-old boy, I looked over, and tears were streaming down his face, and he was sobbing, and he looked at me, and this was a man that I admired greatly, and that I, I, I looked up to, and he was a, he was a, a sharp guy, and a, and a strong guy, and a, and, a, and a powerful leader, and a business owner, and all of these things. He looked over at me, and he said, Dean, I want you to remember this. Lust never looks ahead. I want you to remember that lust never looks ahead. He said, I haven't forgotten that since I was 17, and tonight it'll be a little different than normal. It's not a, we're not going through a passage, so to speak, but I want to bring a challenge to all of us. And yes, lust, lust, we generally would associate that with an inappropriate physical relationship, but really lust is a hunger for, and really in a, a sinful way, a sinful hunger for something that we should not have. It can be a lust for money that does not look ahead. This lust, I've got to have this money, I've got to have this, I'll do whatever it takes to get that. It can be a lust for power. It's been said that, that, uh, that, that in, in, as a pastor and as a leader, a spiritual leader, you've got to watch out for three things derail pastors the most, and that is, is pride, getting lifted up in power, and they misuse their authority. It's uh, a wrong relationship with women, and it's a wrong relationship with finances, doing things that are dishonest financially will affect us. But he said, he said, lust never looks ahead. And I began to think, and, and, and as he said that, it rolled around in my thoughts, and I don't do this often, but actually some of the content from tonight I've adjusted it a little bit for this service, but it's from a challenge that I brought to our staff at Staff Orientation that year, that August as we met. And I got a little more personal in that session, and I went a little more deep. This is live streamed, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get personal, we have children in here, I'm not gonna do that. But I began to recount, and I stopped, and I said, this young family, that was with us a couple of years ago at missions conference that had given their lives to the mission field. That I believe they loved God, and they, but temptation came in, and he set up without his wife knowing it, an online, on a, got, got an account on a dating app. 
Never did anything physically, but began to communicate with a woman that was not his wife. And I had gotten a call that within that six-week period of time, and he had reached out to me and said, we're having to come off the field, and we're leaving this church behind, and I'm trying to restore my marriage. I, I just messed up. I don't know what I was thinking. And, and what was he saying? There were some things. I allowed some temptation in my life that I thought no one would do. And I, I hadn't done anything physically, but I allowed myself to begin to communicate with a lady online, definitely not behavior that would be becoming or behooving of a spiritual leader. And because of that, our family has had to come off the mission field, and now we're going to get counseling and work to restore our family. And by the way, when these things hit home as a church, we ought to restore such in one. We ought to, if they're humble and they've repented, we ought to, as a church, walk together. God can bring restoration. Our church walked through that five or six years ago, and that family, you know the—and they wouldn't mind me saying this is their home church. He, he did these slides for us. He designed these slides. Dave and Rebecca Scott are joyfully serving the Lord in Arizona today with their family, and their family, it, from, from what everything that I know, is healthy and strong, and they have a great love. We, as, as Christians, we ought not—well, somebody messed up, we're done with them. No, we ought to walk through that together if they have a heart of repentance and want to do that. The Bible gives an outline for that, but lust never looks ahead. A pastor of the same church for 25 years in the city where my wife's grandfather pastored for almost 60 years, built an international ministry that's impacted thousands of churches, had to resign because of deceit, the mishandling of sinful situations, possible financial improprieties. Why? Lust never looks ahead. I could go on with these illustrations, but here's the reality, church family. Satan is real, sin is real, and our flesh is weak. Look at James chapter number one, if you will. James in chapter number one, let's read verse number 13. James 1, verse number 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. If you're tempted, well, God, no, this is of your own flesh. The Bible says it this way, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And by the way, all of us struggle, we all have flesh, we all struggle with lust in some area, a hunger for something that we should not have. For some, it may be a lust for a substance. It may be a lust for alcohol. For others, it may be a lust of a physical relationship. For others, it may be a lust of something that they see online. For others, it may be a lust for money or for material goods. Others, it may be a lust for power or significance. But all of us have temptations that we struggle with. And, and what we like to do is we like to hear preaching about the sins we don't struggle with. Whatever sin I don't have a hard time with, preach on about that. But the sin that I struggle with, leave that alone. But he says, is drawn away. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Would you read verse number 15 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. You see the progression? Then he says in verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. That's, that's my message tonight. Don't err. I'm, I'm trying to give us a challenge that I gave to our staff. God is doing some amazing things here, but do you know Satan would love to mess up your life, and he would love if you're married to mess up your marriage, and he would love to, to mess up if you lead a community group or as the pastor or a staffer. He would love to get us off track in some area, because if he can do that, it always has a ripple effect affecting other lives. Do not err, my beloved brethren, understand the progression. And what is James, the half-brother of Jesus, saying right here? James, the half-brother of Jesus, to those that he loved and served with, he's saying, lust never looks ahead. You ever stop to think about this? Lust, no, lust, when it is conceived, when it starts, it brings forth sin. What does lust see? Lust sees the sin. Now, it wouldn't describe it as sin. What does the Bible say about sin? There is what in sin for a season? There is... There's what? Pleasure. There's pleasure in sin. That's why we do it. If it was just death immediately with sin, none of us would do it. But there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
Looking at that website feels good. Texting that person that, that you ought not be texting in that way, there's an excitement. There's a, there's a you know, taking that drink or smoking that substance or stealing that money or whatever it might be, taking advantage of that person for your own gain. In our flesh, there is a pleasure that comes from doing those things that we ought not do. If there wasn't, we wouldn't do it. If the first time you took a, a, a drink of, of hard liquor or the first time you smoked some drugs, immediately you were transported into a rehab facility with no job, no money, all kinds, and you had some major health issue, you would never take that first drink of hard liquor. You would never smoke that, that, that illicit drug. By the way, there are people that have smoked marijuana that didn't end up there. There are people that have drink, drank liquor that didn't up there. But no one that ended up in those places ever did it without starting enjoying those substances. I've sat in my office time and time again with teenagers, with young adults, with married couples, with husbands, with wives. I've been on the phone. Even before I came to Liberty, there were people in my couples class that I would deal with. And the tears that flow, and what they say is almost always, what was I thinking? Why did I allow this to happen? Why? Because lust never looks ahead. It looks at what's happening today. Lust never looks ahead in our lives. It sees sin. It sees pleasure. What, what it doesn't see is death. It says here, when it's finished, it brings forth death, the death of dreams, the death of your innocence, the death of influence. It doesn't see the way that that, that pornography addiction rewires your brain, and it doesn't see that everywhere you can, you're, you're trying. It doesn't see that when you've developed an addiction in this area, and you've had multiple partners here and there that you're constantly looking for. It doesn't see. When it started, all it saw was the pleasure that came for a season. It didn't see the long-term ramifications. It doesn't see the death of your innocence, the death of influencing your life, the death of opportunities, doors that will never be open because that you allowed that in, the death of relationships, the death of marriages, the death of churches, the death of healthy views of men or women, teens and children. Lust never sees those things. It sees the pleasure in sin for a season. It doesn't see that when it's finished, it brings forth death. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We're going to go to three spots. 2 Samuel chapter number 11, the story of King David. David's great sin is an interesting. David, a man after God's own heart. David, the one that killed Goliath. David, the one that wrote the Psalms. David, uh, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting that if you Google David, I haven't done it for a while, but a few years ago I did, and if you Google Dave, you start with Dave, you know, Google puts in search terms, they fill out the search terms. You start with D-A-V, I think it comes up like Dave and Busters, that's the one that comes up first. And then you get to David and David and, and isn't it interesting, it'll be David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. His greatest victory and his greatest defeat are forever tied to him. What happened there? That's the story we find ourselves in. Second Samuel chapter number 11, verse number 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. By the way, it's a dangerous thing when you're supposed to be doing something that you allow yourself to step back. He was supposed to be in battle, but he had just allowed himself to get comfortable. Stay, stay disciplined. Stay in your schedule. Do what you're supposed to be doing. That David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David was in a place he was not supposed to be. I was his house, but he wasn't supposed to be there at that time. And look what happens, verse number two. And it came to pass in an evening tide. Those three words are interesting because it gives the idea it was just another regular day. I don't think David had planned when he woke up that, that morning to say, you know what, today I'm going to do something they'll be talking about 4,000 years from now. Today's the day when, when Google comes out, it'll be the third highest search result on my name or second or whatever it is. It was just in an evening tide. Be careful on the ordinary days. David, in an evening tide, going about his regular business, 
The Bible says, he arose from off his bed, he couldn't sleep at night, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Be careful when you're alone. Be careful when we're physically tired. Uh, our our, our, our uh, inhibitions can drop. I was talking to the counselor, a counselor that's walked through this with many, many pastors. He's here in Orange County and, and walked through this in their marriages. And he often says, he says, often in these things, in a pastor, he calls them burnout affairs. There are these times where a pastor has de- is depleted. They've They've given, they've given, and they've not refreshed, they've not restored, they've allowed, they've just gotten so focused. And he says it was never really in their character, they hadn't done it, and just in this season they got involved. Be careful when you're tired, when you're alone. That's a, this is David, he can't sleep, he's up walking at night. It says, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was what, church? The woman was very what? Beautiful to look upon. Get the picture. David, David didn't make a plan. He wasn't intentional. He didn't go out to destroy his life or his marriage. This is by the way. David didn't do any of that. You know what David saw? David saw beauty. David that night saw beauty. You know what David saw? He saw a beautiful woman right down there from overlooking his balcony. You know what David saw? He saw pleasure. He saw, he saw physical fulfillment. He saw romance. He saw a night of passion. What did David's lust see? That's what it saw. What didn't David's lust see that night? It didn't see lying. It didn't see the murder of Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. It didn't see the loss of respect from his commanders and servants because they knew the double life he was living. It didn't see an unexpected baby that would be born. You know what David didn't see that night? He didn't see a seven-day-old baby dying in his mother's arms. As Bathsheba, weeping, says goodbye to her newborn baby that was a result of that affair. You know what David didn't see that night was months of guilt and scheming and shame. You know what David didn't see? The condemnation that he tells us about in Psalm 51. What did he say? My sin is ever before me. Now, may I just stop and say that that's not God's plan. If we've been forgiven, our sin should not be ever before us. It's not ever before God. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our iniquities from us in the depths of the sea, as, that, as the song says, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. It's, we're, it, our sin is not supposed to be ever before us, but do you know what it was for David? It was ever before him, that he saw one night of enjoyment. He didn't see a lifetime of regret, a lifetime of condemnation, a lifetime of shame. I know that David got right. I know that God used David again, and I love all of that, but he didn't see that. He didn't see his daughter being raped by her half-brother. He didn't see his son trying to kill his other son. He didn't see his estranged son, Absalom, dying a brutal death. He didn't see chaos in his extended family. He didn't see a heartbroken wife, Bathsheba, when she heard Uriah was dead. He didn't see a difficult confrontation by a preacher, Nathan, that he loved and respected. He didn't see months of torment or years of regret. David didn't see any of that. Why? Because lust never looks ahead. Never. He saw, that looks fun. I think that would make me happy tonight. And he didn't stop to see where it could go. My challenge to every one of us, we all have flesh that entices us in different things. Stop, be careful, realize that lust never looks ahead. That list I said that he didn't see, that's a whole lot of heartache for one night of sinful fulfillment, wouldn't you agree? Turn over one chapter please, look at chapter 12, verse number 16. Chapter 12, verse number 16. David therefore besought God for the child, And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. Do you see the torment? Do you see the dread? And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. If we ask David that day, he's begging God, please, don't don't let this happen. It's not fair to that child. It's not fair to Bathsheba. Don't do that. He couldn't even physically get up. He couldn't eat. Was that day worth that night and all that came with it? 
Lust looks at how it feels today, never the damage it causes tomorrow. Lust sees the temporary pleasure. It doesn't see the shame, the guilt, the complications in future relationships, the effects of adultery, the difficulties of fornication, the addictions to online uh, content, the tears, the sorrow, the STDs, the never-ending search for the next fulfillment, lost ministries, lost marriages, hurt children, heartache, reproach that isn't wiped away, says the Bible. The Bible says of adultery. So what do we do? If lust never looks ahead, last place will turn, Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11, I want you to see Moses in the Hall of Faith chapter. Hebrews 11, turn with me there if you will, please. We're going to look at six or seven more verses and wrap it up. Hebrews 11, verse number 23. How should we respond when we're tempted? I want you to see Hebrews 11, when, when you're tempted to do wrong, young child, you're tempted to do wrong at school, what should we do? Teenager, you're tempted to do wrong, young adult, single, dating couple, young married couple, middle-aged couple, widow, widower, whatever the case may be. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because, because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, look at this, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Would you read verse 25 aloud with me? Ready, begin. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for for a season. What did Moses say? I would rather do what's harder today so that I stay faithful to God for a lifetime than to do what makes sense today. By the way, you don't think the hunger for what Pharaoh's daughter and that family could offer Moses was a temptation to a teenage boy or a young man in his 20s? You don't think that was a temptation to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? To be in the kingdom and Pharaoh's daughter is your mom, and he had, he had all that opportunity, that power, that money, access undoubtedly to beautiful women, all that would have come along with all that happened for a powerful young man like Moses in Egypt. And you know what he did? He said, I'm not going to look at the sin today, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions of God for a season than the pleasures of sin for a season. It said there, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He said, as a young man, with God's help, I'm going to say no to the temptations. So even if that means that there's some hard times that come in my life, rather than say yes to the temptations and pay the price for the the rest of my life. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He understood the long, the big picture, the long term, it, looked, it mattered more. Look what it says in verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest, uh, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egypt, Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. I love that it throws in there at the end, because he made that choice as a young man, he was the redeemer of his people. He was the one that led them across the Red Sea. We talk about Moses and the Ten Commandments. We talk about water from the rock. We talk about manna every day. We talk about going over Red Sea and dry ground. Do you know that never happens if Moses doesn't make some hard choices as a young man to keep his life right? To choose to follow God instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a short season? Because there is pleasure in sin for a season, but when it is finished, it always brings forth death. It can be physical death, it can be spiritual death, as far as it just, it deadens us. It can be the death of dreams, the death of opportunities, the death of influence in our lives. Moses looked ahead at his future and his future ministry for God, and he made a choice to look past the pleasure of sin for a season and trust that God's long-term plan was greater than Moses' short-term pleasure. Can I say that again? He chose to trust that God's long-term plan was greater than Moses' short-term pleasure. Lust never looks ahead. I've talked with dating couples, and I've, I've talked with them about putting boundaries up in their lives spiritually, in their content that they view, in their physical relationship, their physical contact before marriage. Fornication is still in the Bible. That is a physical relationship outside of marriage. And we ought not as believers be getting as close to that as we can. 
and making excuses, well, that's not complete, whatever, be ye holy as I am holy. And I've said, if it's God's will for your life, there's no need to rush that aspect. If that person is God's will for your life, there will be decades to enjoy that gift from God. Lust, never, but Satan wants us to short-circuit the process. He wants us to take what belongs in a certain arena, bring it to another arena. He wants, he wants us to take that, and then we live with the regrets of that. Then we live with the effects of that. And again, I'm not saying if that was you that God can't forgive, that God can't restore, that God can't use you. It's not what I'm saying. It's a challenge to all of us wherever we find ourselves today. Be careful what temptations you allow Satan to get a foothold, a stronghold in your life with. God's long-term plan was greater than Moses' short-term pleasure. So what should we do? Let me give you three thoughts. What should you do regarding your temptation, your struggles, your, your, the sin, the, 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 the lust that might be in your heart and towards something, whatever that might be? Number one, confront it. Confront it. Admit it. Admit it's there. I just said it tonight. We all struggle with lust of some sort. All of us have things that we want that God doesn't want us to have. That's, that's the flesh. All of us want to, we want to maybe, you know, uh, um, ruin our integrity in order to get more money. I want that. Who cares if I take advantage of that person? I'm not going to act with integrity. What is that? That's lust. That's greed, we would call it. That's covetousness. That's dishonesty. It, it might be different for all of I don't know what it is, but don't act like it's not there. Don't hide your head in the sand. Parents, if you have children, don't act like, well, we've never, um, th- this isn't affecting my son or my daughter because they've never brought it up to me. It, it, are they different than you? Is, is sin not affecting them, the world in which we're living? We need to be aware of these things, confront these things. What happened with David? Why did David end up getting it right? Because Nathan, God's man, the prophet of God, came and confronted him. David didn't get his sin right until Nathan came and confronted it. You know where our sin grows? Our sin grows in the darkness. Our sin grows when we have, in our lives, we think it's hidden. We think no one knows about it. We think it's on our phone. We think it's just in our head. We think it's in some corner that nobody knows about. We think it's a relationship no one's aware of. We think it's how we're cooking the books in some way over here at work, and we're just skimming a little off the top, and nobody knows. And we think, and what happens is the longer it stays in the dark, the bigger it grows, and then the more scary it is to deal with it, because the bigger it grows, then the more shame you feel if I finally let this out, the time Time to deal with it is today before it grows any bigger, because on your own, it's not your sin, your flesh is too weak. We need to confront it. We need to find someone that can walk through it, an accountability partner, somebody that can help walk through that with us and get that right. It might be Christian counseling. It might be meeting with a pastor. I don't know what it is, but if you don't ever confront it, if you don't ever admit it, if you don't ever confess it and admit, I'm struggling with this, you will never get victory. Victory does not come. I said, said it when we walked through this as a church five or six years ago, restoration never comes before repentance. Restoration only comes after repentance. What is that? You have to confront it. Admit there is a struggle in your life. And may I stop and say this? So be honest and get it out. You know what I found out is often when I deal with people and they come and talk to me, they're so worried that I'm going to look down on them or that their, their life is over. It's one of the first things I said in one of the most difficult seasons with a dear family that I loved with this. The first thing I said to them was, your life is not over. Your marriage isn't over. You serve a God of mercy and forgiveness and restoration. It's going to be a long road and it's going to be painful, but your life is not over. Why? Because we think if we get it out there, it's all over. No. The beautiful part is just beginning. But if we keep it in the dark, what is Jesus? Jesus is the light. When we get our sin out in the light, it takes much of Satan's power over that sin away because now he comes and that shame comes and says, oh, you messed up again and nobody knows and you said you're going to fix it on your own and you went back to that and you called that person and you went back to that thing and you, you, you got involved in that activity and you, you went back here and you looked at that and you, and, and you indulged in that and whatever it might have been. And when we get that out, It takes away a lot of the power. You're right, I did. And I'm going to tell somebody that can walk with me through it. I messed up. Let's keep going. Let's figure it out. Let's get it right. Confront it. And may I stop and say this? If you see a red flag in a brother or sister's life, don't turn a blind eye. 
You're not helping anybody by doing that. You're kicking the can down the road and only increasing the damage that will be done because the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. If you see something that seems off, and I'm not saying we all need to become the Christian police with everybody, but somebody you love dearly and something just is different. Maybe it's a teenager, their spirit's totally changed. They're, they're always quiet, they're in their rooms, they don't want to talk to anybody. They're always on their phone, they always have Air, AirPods in. Maybe it's a husband or a wife, they've, they've kind of gone really, really inside. Acting like nothing's wrong isn't going to help anything. Ask God to give you wisdom, but what did Nathan do? He confronted it in someone else. Go and say, and I, I, don't, I have certain people in my life that are accountability partners that can come and say to me, come and say, hey, how's, how's this going here? Are you struggling with that? What's going on here? My brother-in-law, Tim, who pastors a church, planted a church in Arizona, he posted on his social media a week or two ago, there's an older pastor that goes to his church, a retired pastor, and he has five or six questions. How's your, how's your thought life? Have you looked at anything you shouldn't have? Have you been alone with a, a woman who's not your wife? He has five or six questions that once or twice a month, this man, have you been honest with your finances? What is that? Some guardrails. Seek that out in your life. And if you see something, again, I'm not talking about us being gossips and don't, you don't need to go behind people's backs, but as loving brothers or sisters, hey, it seems like I've noticed this struggle here. What's going on there? Confront it, number two. Number two, fight it. Active. What did, what did Moses do here? He chose. He made an active decision, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If you're struggling with temptation, with lust in some area, make a choice to choose the hard way rather than the easy. How do you fight sin? Daily prayer. God, I need your help. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Daily time in God's word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If you struggle with laziness, if you struggle with anger, if you struggle with, with greed, if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with whatever it might be, memorize some scripture on that, dwell on that in your heart, fight it in your life. God, on a daily basis, seek out an accountability partner in your life. Seek counsel. Reach out if you need help. Don't try to fight it alone. Get somebody walking alongside of you. Bear ye one another's, bur one another's burdens. Maybe read a book on that. Find a partner that can go. If you're married and you're struggling in that, talk to your marriage and fulfill those needs within the marriage because Satan, the Bible says it this way, and again, I understand our, our group here, but the Bible says it this way, be careful. Those of you that, that struggle, be careful, and, and, and I've got to save this in detail for another time, but be careful about defrauding in a physical relationship. Here's what the Bible says, lest Satan get an advantage of you. If you're struggling, reach out. Get some couples counseling. Talk to somebody, because Satan will use an unhealthy aspect of that relationship. I know I don't talk about this stuff a lot. Some of you are looking like a little uncomfortable, like, when is this going to be over? But here's the reality. Satan will use an unhealthy aspect of that in marriage to tempt us to do things we otherwise wouldn't. There's a reason the Bible says, drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. Let, let thy wife satisfy thee at all times. You can read that in Proverbs. Solomon goes on with a little more detail. Fight it with your family. Fight it. Don't just, well, no, get active against it. And then number three, number three, not only fight it, but avoid it. Put some boundaries and guardrails up in your life. What did Satan, what did, what did uh, Jesus say? If your right eye offends you, cut it out. Just get it out of your life. Now, he's not saying literally, if you have a problem with looking at people in wrong ways and in, in, in sinful ways to go get a knife and cut your eye out. What he's saying is it's a word picture. No matter how painful it is and how much it affects your daily living, make whatever changes are necessary to get that temptation out of your life. It might be driving to work a different way. It might be getting a different job. It might be getting a flip phone. It might be some accountability. Now, by the way, all the guardrails, we have to work on the heart because the guardrails will not fix the problem, but they can help us in moments of temptation to not give us access to whatever the problem is. And avoid it. What did, what, did, what did Solomon say, talking about the strange woman? He says, go not nigh the door of her house. Don't get near her door. 
Nothing sinful happens at the door of a house, but what happens at the door of the house is you're really close, and you're looking in, and you're seeing what could happen, and the Bible says this, there comes a point in temptation that we're powerless to stand against it. He says, we're, we're like an ox being led to the slaughter, like a bird that is hastened to the snare. And here's what Proverbs says, I think it's Proverbs 5 or 7. It says, and knoweth not that it is for his life. It doesn't look ahead. And here's what, and here's what the Proverbs says with temptation. What should you do? Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass it away. Four different times it said, get away. Now, I think there's an active part of whatever temptation we struggle with. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Be active in fighting against it. Daily prayer, daily time in the Word, reading a book on it, memorizing Scripture, seeking counsel, finding an accountability partner. Those are active actions. But then, look, where are some of those triggers or where are some of those things where I often struggle with this the most in certain times of day or certain times of the year or certain opportunities here, this friend or this relationship. And whatever those are, if you're right, I offend you, cut it out. Get, get a, put a guardrail up. Put some boundaries up to avoid that temptation as much as you can. Dating couples, don't, don't put yourselves in situations because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, I'm never, I've told our staff, our staff is never to be with another teenager alone or another child alone. They ought not be in rooms alone with children. I trust our staff. We have, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be preaching out of town. We're going to have our children staying with some of our staff at two different staff families while we're gone this fall for a couple of days. I trust my family with our staff. I wouldn't have hired them if I don't trust them. But, but as my father-in-law would often say this about raising teenagers. He would say, it's not that we don't trust them. It's just that we don't trust them. Place no confidence in the flesh. So guess what? We ought not be, you're, you're not going to find every door in our school building and in our church building has windows. Every office door has windows. You will rarely, rarely find me counseling a lady alone. And if that, if that is happening, my wife knows about it. Another staff member knows about it. And if that person's married, I almost always say I only meet with the, there, there are some unique circumstances where there might be, I, I think maybe this many times in the eight years I've been here. This not, I can't remember the last time it happened. Uh, in 23, you might think, you might think this is crazy. In 23 years of marriage, I don't believe there's ever been a time that I've been in a car with a woman who was not my wife or related to me. Guess what? I'm, I'm going to go out and be a crazy shocker here. It's pretty impossible to have an inappropriate physical relationship if you're never alone with a woman who's not your wife or a man who's not your husband. It's like really hard. Now, you can do some things online and you can create emotional things that, that can destroy your lives as well. But set up some guardrails. Set up some things in your life where that you, there, there is no lady in this church or in the church, the two churches I've ever served in, that could credibly say that they've ever been in an inappropriate situation with me. I don't live in fear at night who has a picture of something or a text thread that I've sent. There is no lady, there is no staff member, there is no church member, there is no one in my 23 years of ministry that can credibly, now I, I get that anybody could say anything they want at any time, but there's no one that could credibly say that I've had inappropriate conversations with them, that I've, I've flirted with them, that I've, 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 in, I've hinted at something with them. There are no text threads anywhere, there's no DM in some closet that I'm worried about, somebody has an archive of that could come out. To God's glory. Now, that could happen this week, but to God's glory to this point, I've tried to put some guardrails up in the way that I interact. I don't go into our staff. I've been walking around in our school building to see the different classrooms, and I walk in and I poke my head in, and oftentimes the ladies are in their, in their room by themselves. They'll tell you their, their door is open. I poke my head in. I say hello to them, and I walk back out. I never close the door behind me. I don't, it's just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm trying not to make them uncomfortable, and I'm going to try not to put myself where my flesh can be tempted in ways that it shouldn't be. And so we, I, I've talked to all of our teachers, and they're in their classroom, and I'll poke my head in from the hallway. I'll say, hey, it's looking good in here. Keep up the good work. All right, we'll see you later. Do you need anything? We might talk about something there, but it's with me at the doorway if they're the only ones in their classroom. I say this to say, avoid it. Do some things that, whatever that means, put where, where, if you need to put the computer somewhere else in the, in the house, if you, whatever you need to do, guard your conversations, your text messages, your direct messages, delete apps if you have to, get off social networks if you have to, put on filtering software. God can give victory. He can give renewal. He, he gives forgiveness. It's not a lost battle. But let me say this, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. The deeper it goes, the stronger the hold becomes. So my challenge to you as Christians, stay in love with Jesus. 
Stay in love with your spouse. Nurture and service those relationships daily. If you're, if you're not married yet, do your best to put guardrails up to save your mind and body for a spouse down the road. Because lust never looks ahead. Sin when it's conceived, lust when it's conceived brings forth sin, which is pleasure. Sin when it's finished brings forth death. I love Reese's. Any Reese's fans out there? Sandy, you said Reese's cereal, so I'm guessing you're a Reese's fan. Especially the big cup Reese's. Those have more peanut butter than chocolate, which is the way it should be. Reese's pumpkins are getting ready to come out for the fall. That's another one that's good. Anything that has more peanut butter than chocolate is good. Really, I love anything chocolate and peanut butter. If I go to Baskin Robbins, almost always, which they're not really around anymore, but if I go, I'm almost always going to get the chocolate peanut butter ice cream. One day, when I was in Santa Clara, my brother-in-law, who's now a pastor, planted a church six or seven years ago in Arizona. He and I served on staff together. I was the executive or administrative pastor. He was the youth pastor. We served together for about a decade. He's one of my closest friends in the world. Talked to him every week. And I walked into Tim's office. And I looked on his shelf, on his little credenza there in his office, and he had these world's finest peanut butter bears on his shelf. And I walked over to pick them up. And I, I did. I walked over, I grabbed them, and I started to open them. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, those aren't for eating. They're not to eat. I said, that's exactly what they're for. Like, that's literally what they were made for, is for me to eat them right now in your office. What are you talking about? I, I said, well, if they're not to eat, what are they for? He said, uh, to remind me of where lust can lead. I was like, I mean, I know you can overeat, but that's going a little far. Like, uh, other ways to diet. I said, what do you mean? To remind you where lust can lead. He said, well, you remember at pastor's conference last year? I got this, there was an exhibitor, we had a conference with pastors that would travel in, and we had a, a convention center where different ministry exhibitors would set up tables, and they would sell music, and sell books, and sell curriculum, and whatever. And there was one that had a world's finest. At our previous school, they used to do candy sales. How many of you have had to do candy sales with your kids? How many of you are thankful we don't do candy sales anymore? I have spent thousands of hours standing in front of grocery stores with my kids. Remember I told, I think I was telling the church, I was telling somebody, I have a little bit of, of an obsessive personality. If I get into something, I get all the way in. Our kids, when they were like kindergarten and second grade, they sold 100 boxes of candy. One year, I think it was 120. That's 50 boxes, like 5,000 candy bars. We were out there every night. We're going to get the biggest prize. Like, it's, I, have, I have a problem. <laughs> so we are not doing candy sales at Newport Christian. I'm done with them. He had a table set up, and we would, at, at our previous school, we would sell world's finest chocolate bars. And he had a table set up. And he was trying to get Christian schools to sign up to sell candy, to do fundraisers, to do candy bars. And Tim said, and he named his name, I know the man, he said, I got this off of his table at pastor's conference from the world's finest rep that was traveling the country. And you see, the thing was that that rep, if I named his name today, selling world's finest chocolate isn't what he had always done. You see, when I first met him, he and his wife and his young children were coming through our home church on deputation to go be missionaries in the Philippines. In fact, his brother was a missionary in the Ivory Coast in Africa. They were some, as a newly saved elementary age boy, they were some of the first missionaries I remember coming through. Much of my heart and passion for missions came from hearing and seeing their missions presentations. Those two brothers that were pastor's sons were both missionaries at one time, and, and they had got, one had gone to Philippines and one had gone to the Ivory Coast. And I remember as a fifth, sixth grade boy being deeply burdened for missions, watching their presentations. For about 20 years before that, he had been on deputation. He had given his life to make Christ known among the Filipino people, and he had done exactly that for years. Unfortunately, his lust had led him to an extramarital affair with one of the very Filipino ladies that he had traveled to share Christ with. He lost his ministry. He lost his marriage. He lost custody of his children. And now he was traveling the country alone from place to place, trying to sell world's finest chocolate bars to schools. My brother-in-law Tim said, I keep this on my desk to remind me where lust can lead. It was a powerful illustration, and I got one. I, I went and got a box of these, and I've had it on my office ever since that day. It made the move with me from Northern California to Southern California. When I unpacked my boxes, this went right on the shelf in my office as a physical reminder 
of all that I have to lose if I allow Satan to get victory in my life. And by the way, it's, I'm as susceptible to it as anybody. None of us are superhuman Christians. None of us have, have figured out how to never struggle with temptation. None of us are, have figured out to never be tempted to be dishonest or greedy or lazy or, or immoral. Tim, what was Tim saying when he wouldn't let me eat these? He was saying lust doesn't look ahead. So I want a daily reminder of where it can lead if I don't stay on guard. Church family, I love you. I love the ministry God's given to us. I love your families and I love your marriages. I love what God is doing here. And I've seen, and you have as well, the firsthand damage of sin, especially the fruits of financial and immoral sins amongst ministry workers and Christians. And tonight, it's just a reminder, a wake-up call. What have you gotten comfortable with that nobody knows about? What have you done in private that nobody sees? What sins, what temptations have you allowed to take control Just a reminder that Dean Miller told me sitting around Captain Crunch in Ironwood. Hey, Ryan, haven't forgotten it as I heard it from a sobbing man that I admired deeply in his truck some 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. Dean, don't forget this. Tears coming down his cheeks. Lust never looks ahead. Church family, if you're struggling... Don't let this message lead you to condemnation. Confront it. If, if, you've, if you've gotten yourself wrapped up, you're not going to beat it alone. You've got to get it out before God and have somebody walk alongside with you. Teenager, what temptation have you allowed into your life that mom or dad has no idea about? God does. It will impact. If you don't get it right and get victory, it will have impacts in your future marriage. It will impact your future opportunities. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overdramatic and that say that God can't forgive or give mercy or restoration. Of course he can. But confront it and then fight it. Active, resist the devil and he'll flee from you and then avoid it. Put some boundaries up, some guardrails. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to go there. I struggle with that. So, hey, I struggle. I, I have, I have, I'm on the board of a mission board. The, the man that leads the mission board is a dear friend of mine. He's about my age. His dad is in jail, was at what, did ministry finances and did seminars and churches all across the country. He's in jail for his part in a Ponzi pyramid scheme that, that um, tr- Christians across the country ended up losing millions of dollars through. And this man who's my friend, you know what he has done in his life? Because of, he deals with money coming in from churches supporting missionaries, he has put layer after layer after layer of people that deal with the books and people that look at this and accountability. Every month I get the accountability reports, I get the finances. He has multiple people. It is, I'm on a couple different ministry boards. This one by far has the greatest number of financial checks and balances. Why? Because he understands, number one, because of my last name, some people are going to have some questions because of what my dad did or what happened to my dad or whatever that situation was. And number two, if that could happen to my dad, it could happen to me. So I'm gonna put some guardrails up. What are the guardrails in your life to keep your heart and mind and body right before Christ? Lust never looks ahead. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.